Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here at the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early stage startup or still in ideation, then Launchpan is the course designed for you. All of the basics and more, saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching your growing food, beverage, or smoke goods business. More details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. Howdy, this is Steve Clear, and welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast today. I'm welcoming Tyler Noyes and Brett Johnston of Kalahari Snacks. And Kalahari Snacks was actually started after a great adventure of a lifetime, which the guys are going to tell us more about. But the key here is that it took place in South Africa and included Biltong, an indigenous dried meat snack that is not a jerky. Remember, folks, not a jerky. They realized the simplicity of ingredients and the tenderness of the product would be a game changer for U.S. consumers. And so they started out on a mission to bring back a centuries-old South Africa tradition to their family, their friends, and their country, one delicious piece of biltong at a time. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, it, it's, it's um, first of all, product amazing, and including, we're, we're just talking about, we're going to talk about the regular biltong at this point, then you guys are going to talk a little later about your, your new product. But excellent stuff. And so I'm amazed that it took this long to get around the world. I mean, I'm just amazed. So tell us a little bit about, first of all, how you guys got to know each other and then what happened in this grand adventure? Well, I think first off, I think we, maybe Brett could kind of give you the soundbite of Bill Tong. And obviously, you know, he is a South African, so it's probably a little bit more authentic coming from him than me. Yes, yeah, so Steve, I, I mean, you did a good synopsis of it, you know, when you started out there. But yeah, essentially, Biltong, you know, at its essence, it's a meat snack. Um, it is, however, very different to jerky, and that's really in the way that it's made, right? So, so typically, a jerky is like cooked, heated, smoked for a few hours, um, and a lot of ingredients in there, sugars, anything like that. And what you end up with a jerky is like a very chewy, ten, uh, sort of... Um, like very tear away kind of product. Um, jerky filled with obviously fake ingredients, sugars, anything like that. Biltong is made with six simple ingredients, no sugars, no soy, no preservatives, anything like that. And like what you said, it's air dried. So as opposed to being heated or smoked, we actually hang this in air dried, almost like a cured meat, like a prosciutto. And then we can slice it to kind of the final product. And that's kind of where you get the, the prosciutto kind of, um, feeling of it um, as the product, yeah. Got it. Yeah, it makes it makes it different. And you know, I mean, at one time in this country, we couldn't even have prosciutto because yeah. right. somehow centuries of air drying meat around the rest of the world was deemed unhealthy here. But we took care of that, so we have it now. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, obviously for me, you know, Kalahari biltong. So to me, biltong is South Africa, right? It's something that I grew up with. It was my childhood. It's, it's what I always had. So it's, it was very passionate for me to be able to bring this to the country. And then kind of how we started was, you know, Tyler and I went to South Africa, went down to South Africa, went to go and do a couple of races. I, well, I think there's some, there's some important 
uh, facts missing from that, that quick statement there. Um, so obviously we're, we're fast friends now, but uh, I first met Brett because he was my coach in triathlon uh, when I first got to Boston. And we had done some races together and had a lot of fun. And he had, again, through a, a long night with maybe one too many adult beverages, uh, convinced sure. me that um, we should go down to South Africa to race uh, not only an Ironman, but uh, about six days later, an ultramarathon. And in between, we would find all kinds of trouble and adventure. And so when I went down there, obviously with him, it was an amazing experience because it's not often you get to enjoy a country with, with a native, frankly. And he right. grew up, so we, we stay with his family and I was really privileged to get the full experience. And if you're not from South Africa, as Brett mentioned, what you will notice immediately is that biltong is their unofficial national snack. I mean, it's in the airport hanging meat. Right. It's at the butcher. There's built on shops. It's in the grocery store. It's in people's homes. And that's kind of the other next piece you almost immediately realize while down there is this unbelievably broad utility. So it's not just an on the go protein snack like we would traditionally enjoy a jerky. But if you go to their vineyards, they're actually slicing this like a charcuterie. If you go to someone's homes for you know, meat, wine, cheese, it's built on. Um, they're cooking with it. They're putting in pizzas and salads. And then again, they're enjoying it like a traditional meat snack. So for me, it was a real eye-opener to say, wow, you guys are consuming this in a whole other expansive way than I'm used to, number one. Two, the taste and texture, as Brett already kind of highlighted, is it's super tender. It's thinly sliced. Right. So it's really easy to consume. And then what kind of really stumped me was the nutritionals. And okay, you know, there's, there's zero sugar. There's 30 to, 15, 30 to 50% more protein than your average jerky. Uh, it's six simple ingredients. Okay, what's going on? And almost to your point, why did it take so long to get from there to the U.S.? Mm -hmm. And I think that was our aha light bulb moment where we said, okay, we've got to do this. We've got to bring this back. Um, for me, it was the excitement of discovering something new. And I think for Brett, it was you know, to bring your, you know, your pride of South African products and childhood love of yeah. Yeah, that's it, 100%. I mean, we used to, um, you know, like any true South African living in the States, um, you make your biltong, your own biltong, because you're not going to be able to stomach any of the jerky. It was just like, I can't have this. I'm used to biltong. So I used to make it myself. And uh, that was kind of where Tyler said, oh, you know, we got to do something here. And I'm like, well, I do make this. But <laughs> the way that we're looking at doing this, uh, you know, we've got to really step up our game here. So. Just, just for our audience, just imagine Brett making biltong in kind of a cardboard box with a fan and a heat lamp and going, yeah, we can, I can make it. I can produce. And I was like, Brett, uh, we've got to find a co-packer uh, to scale this thing. So, um, yeah, we so, came back and got started. So, so your friends, you're on this, this wonderful trip. It's a triathlon, an ultramarathon. You're dehydrated. You've had too many adult beverages. <laughs> and the decision is made that we're going to start a food company. Let's take Bill Tong back to the United States. That yep. basically, yeah. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a very fair and honest synopsis of, of our journey, if you will. Okay, so you, you mentioned one thing that's, that's important, and that is, um, you know, that where you're able to make it yourself. You, you can make it yourself. Obviously you can make jerky yourself too. But when you realized that you were going to have to have a co-manufacturer, 
how did that meeting go where you were, did, did you go look for somebody, obviously USDA, but I mean, did you go find somebody and explain, hey, this is the stuff that I want. And they looked at it and went, what are we going to do, hang meat in the, or how did that work? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, when you look around for Biltong manufacturers, um, for better or for worse, it's a relatively small option pool. Mm -hmm. So the USDA looks at jerky and biltong as two entirely different entities. Because jerky is people eat and biltong is cured, those are not the same. And it's a whole other food challenge study. So that was really kind of, uh, it reemphasized the need of why we couldn't go at this alone. We really needed to find someone with the expertise, the food challenge study, and the manufacturing capability to produce it. So we were lucky to find a great partner who was another South African who was making biltong and, you know, for his own purposes and uh, team up and find the right flavor and recipe that you know, we felt like was a good representation of what Brett uh, wanted to bring back um, from his childhood days. And we got started in, gosh, probably like January of 2016 was yeah. kind of when we started. So it was about a six month uh, ideation and uh, phase of kind of you know, discovery for the co-packer, getting a brand together, getting the plastic together, getting the pricing, all of the components that you need to kind of get started. Okay, so now you got past that hurdle. Yeah. Now, now the same thing. First meeting with the buyer. Hey, I got this great stuff. It's better than jerky. It's called Biltong. And the buyer goes, what? So how, how did you start actually selling it? Where and where? Google. <laughs> uh, I'd love to just simplify my answer to that. Wow. You know, we were like any brand. We really thought about, okay, where can we go do this? And, and Brett was a big proponent of getting out in the farmer's markets right from the get-go. Because you know what? You're going to get some really amazing feedback from folks who don't know you, who don't love you, who are not your friends and family, and they'll tell you right away whether they like it or not. And that was instrumental for us in quickly identifying what are the key call-outs. So we were kind of adapting our pitch on the fly. What do people really care about? Was it the sugar? Was it the protein? Was it the ingredients, taste, texture, flavor? You name it. And so that really honed our skills. And then we obviously took that idea to local independence in the Boston, Cambridge area. And that was, that's, you know, that's home turf for us and kind of built the business up and down the street, you know, just local hustle and Google searching. And then eventually once we saturated our immediate five mile vicinity from HQ, so to speak, you know, you start to get a little more creative and you type in, you know, um, upstate New York specialty food stores into Google and, there you go, happy hunting, and you just start calling. But no, to your point, a lot of people have said, a bit long, is this South African meat, or are you importing it, or what is this? So the awareness piece was certainly a challenge, and we recognized that the demos, in particular for our brand, was going to be a key component um, of our ability to succeed. Right, get it, get, you have to get people to, to try it. I mean, that's what it, what it comes down to, especially because there's an education piece. I mean. And, and so people are not sure and people have had cured meats and they kind of, they probably can probably buy into that, right. but then you've got to go to that, that next step and really get them to get them to try it and to understand, you know, it's not, it's not jerky first of all. And then secondly, it's really much healthier for you and, and, and much better. Um, yeah, I think I was just going to say, I was also, I think what, um, you know, kind of what Tyler touched on with regards to, um, the independent stores, not all buyers are equal, right? So when, you, when you're working with an independent store, um, usually a single owner, 
they are far more acceptable and open to trying new products, right. to allowing you to come in there, do demos. It's not, you know, later on down the line, sure, you get to buyers meetings, that sort of thing. But right, you know, in the beginning, in the start, I think was key with us was building those relationships with those small independent stores, those owners, and yeah, then right. to give us a try, you know, and, and let us go in there and do demos, try the product, sell it for them. Um, it certainly helped us. That the, the store manager is also the owner. Yeah. 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 The, the box is boy. And wife is the accountant. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah. we always like to say, Oh, I, I was going to say, we always like to say though, if you, uh, if you really want some candid feedback, go take your product, provided it obviously fits the scene and go work a beer festival or a wine festival. Mm -hmm. And you know, everyone's really polite about your brand for the first 30 to 45 minutes. But after that, you, you'll find out rather rapidly whether your pitch is working, whether you've taken a misstep or not. <laughs> and you can learn some valuable lessons relatively cheaply early on. And we did our fair share of those. And it's a great, great way to do it. I, I have a friend who does, you know, um, single origin chocolates. Uh -huh. His best place to sell single origin chocolates is at a winery. Yep. Tasting <laughs> wine and tasting chocolate together and it just, yep. you know, just goes. Um, so I have to ask, if you guys clarify on your product line, because it, you've got a number of flavors now too. But is Biltong in general made from beef or can you make it from some other stuff that's out there? Yeah, absolutely. So, so traditionally, for the most part, it is beef. But um, so down in South Africa, actually, we have like a whole different animal kingdom down there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. different kind of antelope, etc. So you're making biltong, whether it's kudu, chemsbok, um, you know, anything like that, ostrich. Springbok. Springbok, yeah. So any land. Yeah. Springbok, oh yeah. Previous meats and all bring their own different, you know, flavors, textures, etc. You know, to it. But right here now in the States, we're, only, we're doing beef. <laughs> but my favorite biltong is kudu, hands down. I would take the kudu over the beef all day long if I could get it. Okay, uh, so and what kind of an animal is a kudu? Uh, imagine like, a, like an, an antelope with giant spiraling horns is yeah. the only way I can describe it. It's a, it, it. But not like a ram's horn, but straight up into the sky. It, yeah. It's Ooh. incredible uh, to and see that kind of animal. Yeah, and full growing, they probably stand, their back is probably like six foot high, at least. It's, it's a big animal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you, you got into this, you had some success, and you got some stores, and then what was the first, like, major or when you, customer or whatever that you got that you went, okay, this is going to work? That's a really great question. I don't, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessary a customer at this point, but I think where we figured it was going to work was when we branched out from the East Coast and moved to and, mm -hmm. and spread out onto the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were trying to figure out, like, okay, how are we going to sell this if we're not there in person to do a demo, to explain it, et cetera? And we're like, okay, let's go and try where we're going to go. And okay, San Fran seems like an awesome place. Yeah, that, that location for us, I mean, other than it was a really nice complimentary to our Boston winters. Um, right. We looked at it and said, okay, where are our target consumers? Where is there a sweet spot of folks who are willing to play a premium for better for you products, who are at the tip of the spear for kind of you know, new food products generally have disposable income and, you know, kind of check all those boxes. The, the home, the home of Nyman Ranch. I mean, <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's, we're off. Go. 
and and so that was a really great moment for us in direct right when we realized that we had something was when we weren't out there and the product was still moving and obviously again it was a sweet spot of our target consumers and demographics we said wow this is amazing now to be fair though to us it was almost like founders coming in for landing brett and i were on this rotational trips every six weeks what are every four weeks, four weeks yeah. one of us would be out there and it was like planes coming in and one person departing you'd roll in there for a seven to eight day stint you'd do 21 demos <laughs> and then you'd fly home uh, as a means of building awareness literally you know um you know, word of mouth. And that was really impactful for getting ourselves started there. Yeah. Well, there's kind of a combination of things. And, and if, if you go, if I was to go back through the last year or so of podcasts with founders of different, you know, types of food, beverage and stuff is there's a real coastal access, right. To stuff from the West coast stuff, from guys from the East coast. And then there's a smattering of people from like Chicago, Kansas city, maybe and Atlanta. But in terms of growing it, and then when I look at the retail landscape also, higher percentage of independent markets on both coasts, um, you know, you can launch a product. You can go to Molly Stones and talk to somebody at Molly Stones or you can, right? And, and then I, I think that helps support the system. And there's probably a lot of really great products, you know, there's certainly out of Phoenix, out of Oklahoma City, but but the propensity of people that, that seem to come to the fore, particularly in natural, organic, and healthy, do seem to be coastal in nature. Yeah, and I think that's why you see a lot of brands have strategies that are start on the coast and work your way in. Right. That would basically yeah. reflect that. With, to your point, some exceptions, especially you know in the Boulder, Denver areas, and a big hot spot, you yeah. have the natural grocers and, and things of that nature. Uh, and you do have some, to your point, phenomenal smaller chains, which I believe honestly are the dark horse candidates to our industry because they can really outperform and hit well above their weight class on a store for store basis. And those would include some that are in the Midwest. And I do think they can get often overlooked. Um, yeah. And there, and there are some you can find, I mean, like in, I forget now that now that I say, it, I'm going to forget the name, but there's a, um, a small chain in Minneapolis. That's, that's that way that again, is like when co-op maybe <laughs> is what is what, Lakewinds, maybe? No. Maybe Lakewinds, yeah. But it's, yeah. It, it's uh, you know, and again, you can say, oh, so, yeah, I think this may fly here. We can, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we, we can do that. And uh, and then the other part, I think, too, is, is that just by terms of immigration, more exposure to slightly different flavors. So when somebody's trying to launch something that's a little fiery from Southwest Asia, maybe not, you know, maybe not the middle of the country, the place that's really going to warm to it. Correct. So, you know, we have it's to work its know, way in the, the West Coast. Yeah, to look at that. Um, but so, pricing wise, you got your cogs. Everything's working okay. Did you look at jerky as basically this is a replacement for jerky, or did you say no? This is going to be totally different. We can't we can't play in that league, right? How did you manage that relationship with with this huge category that's out there? Yeah, that's a really great question. And look, initially, I think perhaps just to stand out, we probably took more of a, this is a total replacement type piece. Um, you know, we do have a, a hashtag on, on the front of our bag. It says, you know, you'll never go back to jerky. You'll never go back. And, you know, at some level, we still believe that to be entirely true. And, and we love Biltong. But I think for us, look, there are, it, it, Biltong brings an incremental value to the set. And I think that's important. 
for buyers. You know, if you're a brand and you're going to approach a buyer and it's just going to be a one-for-one swap, you know, for a new trial of a new brand versus a, a proven stalwart, albeit maybe a slower one, you know, that's not necessarily a great swap. You want to be able to show, hey, we can bring incremental value. We can bring new customers into your set. And I think that the Biltong product, I think, lends itself to a wider demographic because okay. it's a bit more tender, because of the way we've gone with our branding and marketing. Um, you know, we're not using any of those heavy, dark blacks. It's a little less masculine than some of the other jerky brands. So we intentionally tried to kind of widen our circle at the start of it. Uh, so again, I think we were trying to shoot for incremental value, bringing new folks to the set. And at some level, yeah, you know, you're going to take market share from somebody. Um, so it was a bit of both, I guess, is the long answer to your question. Um, I think that people, there are a number of folks in the audience who are involved in entrepreneurial ventures with partners. Mm-hmm. So you guys were friends beforehand. And we, as we all know, businesses can form and end friendships both ways. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are obviously still friends. So, but how did you work out kind of the responsibilities? Who, you know, who does what? How do you split that up? Bottle of red wine? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I promise no more one word answers. <laughs> um, you know, ironically, or maybe not ironically, because I don't think we actually chose each other for complementary roles, uh, roles or mm-hmm. abilities. I think we naturally complement each other to begin with. So I think if we're being candid and we've already talked about this many times, our strengths and weaknesses overlap in a great way. So I think that the distribution of tasks and labor and responsibilities almost naturally mm-hmm. spread itself out for ourselves. And so that was really great. You know, again, if we were probably smarter and looking back, that would have been something that we probably would have had a bit a lot more thoughtful about if there wasn't already a natural separation of interests and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And also um, to that, I think we, like what you mentioned in the beginning, the store owner, you know, is the owner, is the night shift worker, etc. We were exactly the same. So Tyler and I, we had started, we were like, okay, who's shipping today? Who's doing this? Have you done your five sales calls? Have you done this? Have you shipped out your samples? You know, and so we'd really complement each other, but it was a matter of we got to do what needs to be done. So whoever's doing that is doing it. And, and I think we've had that philosophy from the beginning and it certainly has helped us. I, I, I was speaking with a, a, a and, and they are actually a married couple and I asked them basically the same question. And they said, oh, well, we kind of split it up by, you know, the discipline. And she says, I handle the operations and the marketing. And he handles sales and finance. And I went, whoa, 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 sales and finance? Wow. That, that's, that's the, you know, that's, that's the poacher becoming the gamekeeper, right? It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. You, know, you should be handling operations and finance and marketing and sales because you get, you get the sales guys out with the checkbook. You know what's going to happen, right? Oh, yeah. Through, no, no, we do this. And it's very, and, and he was right on and he made it, he made it make sense, even though he didn't have to. But it, 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 it was one of those things of dividing, you, you know, dividing things up. And I think that's, um, you know, that, doesn't work for some people, but it, you know, it, it works for others. You guys obviously have got that, got that down. Um, before we go too far, I want to say, um, can you guys give out the website and stuff so people can find out a little bit more information and your store locator and all that? Yeah, sure. So our website is eatbiltong.com. 
which is sorry, just www.eatbiltong. Actually, no, now, now, now it's actually, actually kalaharisnacks.com because we've launched our new product, Crisps. So ah, had to yes, the website, yes. but either website will do. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, find us obviously online there. And, you know, if you're looking for a place to buy it online, we talked about Amazon for, for this call. Amazon, you're the best bet. Right. Kalahari Snacks, right. You always search on Amazon, the easiest, easiest way to do it. So that leads us, segues us very nicely into, okay, so you guys have come up with another iteration of the product product line. Talk to us a little bit about it and why why'd you do it? Yeah, how we got it. So so yeah, Kalahari Crisps um, really came about as you know us looking at how we are as a brand, what is important to us. Nutritionals are very important to us. Um, where the product is from, etc. So so getting that. Um, sort of behind us and we said okay cool what is the next iteration of a meat snack and uh, we came up with this crisps um, as a form of a chip so completely different utility uh, as what a biltong would be this here is essentially a chip you're gonna bite into it it's gonna have that cracker kind of crunch um, crunch to it yeah exactly you could have it with a dip and again i think what probably was you know hitting upon that which is so powerful for how I first experienced Biltong, which is again, that broad utility. And so when we looked at something with crisps, all of a sudden now we open up a whole other component of people who maybe weren't even jerky folks, but they love chips. Maybe they want a healthier chip and they want to have to be able to have, as we like to call it, you know, uh, mindful munching, uh, right? <laughs> and, I like uh, it, mindful munching, yes. Uh, and so the that what made crisps so compelling is now you've got a chip product that's got 100 calories, 20 grams of protein, zero carbs, zero sugar. Right. So now we're like, okay, great. You've got a healthier chip. You've got a protein replacement if, you don't, if you've got bar fatigue and you want something different, fine. Uh, or you know, again, maybe you would never enter the jerky category, but you would for this, great. So we really opened up who we could target and approach as a brand and as a platform now. Yeah, and, and I, you know, and, and thanks guys for sending a, a couple of pre-production sample things um, because um, it's it's really good stuff. And the first thing I thought of was this, wow, you know, I could go to a whole bunch of outdoor places, REI and whatever else, and all day long, if you're going to go hunting or backpacking or anything else, you're going to be out there for a little while and you want to make sure you have enough protein, right? Uh, perfect application. And, and great tasting, and I mean, just it's it, it's awesome. But clarification, just for folks in the audience, because you, you can't, I can't show you the package. I wish I could. Um, is crisps are like chips in the United States? We take potato chips elsewhere in the world. They're called crisps. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, yeah, you can you can fill it up. Yeah, I think you know this. Um, you know, perhaps from one of your other uh, podcasts, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yes. there's definitely a, a big confusion about what are chips and what are crisps. Um, not so much in South Africa. We kind of lend more towards the U.S. definition, but yeah. certainly in the U.K. and uh, Australia, you know, chips are French fries, what you refer to as French right. fries. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you have to, <laughs> exactly. yeah. We're, we're separated by a common language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but for us, yeah, so chips is chips here, yeah, exactly. Um, and in, in, so, all right. So first of all, you had to go through some, uh, assuming some formulation and some, right. R and D and whatever. Um, again, 
<laughs> same same co-manufacturer or did you have to go out and educate somebody else you know at that point at this point in time rather because it's still current uh we had moved to a new co-packer um just because you know what you start to realize as a brand is that you need to be able to find partners that can scale with you and right. you know, who might be your first dance partner uh might not be the right one for you later on depending on you know if needs and interests align and so this was at a different co-packer that we were able to do what was probably close to, I don't know, 10 months, 12 months of, of R&D, because it's yeah. not as easy as it sounds. I promise you that right now. Yeah, I'm imagining that it's not, right? Yeah. There's, some, there's some real challenges, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you don't want to share how you overcome that <laughs> challenge in particular. Be boring people, but yes, no, there were some challenges. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so reception-wise, uh, when you started, did, did you again pick kind of where you wanted to put this out there or did you just go to everybody that was carrying the Biltong and say, hey, we got a new product? Again, yeah, uh, great question. I think it's really pertinent for brands. We're, our philosophy is that generally speaking, we would always rather be uh, an inch wide and a mile deep as opposed to a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. So that kind of uh, much more targeted approach is how we are generally you know, aligned as a brand from a philosophical standpoint. So when we went to the market with crisps, we said, okay, we've built a great brand so far with Biltong and some phenomenal awareness. Who can we go to? Who'd be a really ideal partner for this that would be willing to take a chance on something truly innovative for the category? And so we brought the product pre-final packaging, which you're seeing now, to Sprouts. And they okay. fell in love with it and they took a chain wide and we're really excited to have just launched with them um, about a week ago now. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be the first person we kind of went to with that. Wegmans is now number two. So again, trying to be really thoughtful about that so you can support it and give it the love that it needs to breathe. Otherwise, if you just kind of go everywhere at once, you know, a lot can get lost. Right. right. And you can get to, you know, figure out, okay, how are you handling the pandemic in terms of demoing? Are you giving away full packs? How, how do you do that in, in constraints that we're in like this? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of this has been our online strategy and you know, I'll let Tyler talk a little bit more about that, but obviously demos have, have certainly gone away uh, you know, during this time. And I think what we've done is looked at online ways to allow customers to try it in a very cost-effective manner. Mm -hmm. So that's been something very powerful for us, you know, using some of the apps out there, which I'm sure you're familiar with, that allows people promos on, on the product to go and try the product. So that's really been our focus, um, you know, during this pandemic time in getting the awareness out there. Yeah, and a heck of a challenge, because I know some retailers like Costco, or whatever, are coming and saying, well, just prepare individual packs. And you go, Guys, individual packs cost as much as the full size pack. There really yeah. isn't an appreciable difference, right. you know. And if I've got a if I got to tool something up, it's going to cost more. So I could just give them a regular package and we'll let them walk away. It's going to, you know, whatever we're going to figure it out. Um, so, Tyler, you were going to say something. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, I, it's a great point. I think that's the challenge that a lot of brands find themselves in right now, which is where you have the retailers wanting to push some form of free trial again, right? but the brand is not having an optimal way to deliver it. Again, not all brands, but a lot. And so again, we were in that same boat and our, our thinking was, okay, well, we like the idea of having someone have a little bit of skin in the game to try something, right? 
So we went with a, you know, deeply, um, you know, subsidized trial pack um, of two bags of our Biltong. And we viewed that in the same way as we did a demo. Okay, great. Well, the whole goal of this thing is maybe not necessarily to be profitable, but to get this product in the hands of new people. And if you get smart and savvy with it, with, and we've got a great partner who helps um, manage a lot of this for us, we can say, okay, let's, let's do this around zip codes, around key retailers that are impactful for us. So you can almost do geo-targeted ads by zip code, by yeah. retailer, and you can either get messages about awareness campaigns or drive in the trial packs themselves. And all of those things obviously are never going to quite replace being able to talk about the product no, at first. But, yeah. but hey, it's not a bad secondhand price. Right. No, no. And, and we have to innovate. There's just, no, you know, that, that, that's where we are. And, and unfortunately, it looks like for the foreseeable future, that's going to be um, right. the way it is. And, and of course, food, also critical in that I think one of the things that happens out of this pandemic is, you know, we always had our, our, um, our group of people who were super healthy, um, you know, vegan plus, um, you know, reading all the ingredients, whatever. And we had some people that were kind of, um, you know, not so much, but a pandemic all of a sudden gets people to go, wait a minute. So how did, you know, uh, I think I saw something this morning about the fact that if a vaccine was available tomorrow to everyone, a third of Americans wouldn't take it until the rest of the country had had it for a while and see how it worked. Now, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty suspicious, right? It's like, that's pretty terrible. Really? Yeah. No, right. Exactly. So, so in the food, I think where that's going to come into is this. Also, people are going to people who never read labels before are going to start reading labels. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be more concerned about where their food comes from. You know how it how it got to where they're buying it. Do they really want to buy it there? I mean, there's a whole a whole nother level of things I think that are going to happen with a certain part of the populace. There's probably another part of the populace economically that we know maybe aspired to buy better stuff, but now are not simply going to be able to because the economics just isn't going to, you know, afford. Yeah. It's almost a crazy, almost what I would call barbelling effect, right? Yep. So you're almost like the middle pushed out to either side. Yes. And exactly. I think the brand, you really need to be thoughtful about which side of the barbell you're targeting. You know, again, I think a common mistake that a lot of folks say, you know, who's your target market? You know, everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I want everyone to love my product. Uh, and that's just not simply, you know, no. doable. So for us, I think we do stand and other brands like us um, to hopefully benefit from those on the one side that are saying, you know what, more so than ever before, we really care about, you know, clean, simple ingredients, better for your nutritionals. These are meaningful now uh, more so than ever. And I think you're going to see a lot of that benefit come through as you know, new products roll out, right? Right. Yeah. And there's, and there still are, and you guys are part of it. I, I've, I've talked to people during the last couple of days that are literally in the midst of launches of brand new products or relaunches of their line, which they started back in 2019 with artwork and, you know, whatever, adding flavors, uh, you know, and, and doing things. So I think there'll be a lot of that, you know, uh, a lot of that going on, but the, the plus side, to this probably is the fact that so many more people now are buying food online mm-hmm. that the willingness to try something different, they don't have to see six things deep in the store, right? Um, to see something that's different and interesting and maybe a different flavor, 
um, whether it's Amazon or Thrive or whatever, is is you know is is big. That's that's a big thing I think for smaller smaller brands at this point. But I would also argue, while also big, because you have a better shot at getting awareness and attention, I would almost argue it's a double-edged sword. I would say it's dangerous because now you have ultimate optionality. Your competitor is one click away. And so I think now if you're a consumer, if you're, if you're a brand trying to appeal to consumers, it is going to be ever more critical that, you know, you do all of the, you know, check all the boxes on the fundamentals, not only from like, you know, the commercial strategy components and make sure that your business runs, but you, know, for example, are you an authentic brand? Do you have an authentic voice and a, and a, and a messaging that your consumers understand and take in and it's impactful right. for you? I think that now is going to be more important than ever when you have ultimate optionality online and I can choose whatever I like at a click of a button. I yep. don't have to go anywhere else. Yeah. And there's, there's the, the follow on is there's, there were and in, in conventional grocery and mass still are a number of categories that were basically single supplier categories. Right. So, you know, you were a GE light bulb house or you were a Sylvania light bulb house. Right. And, and Sylvania controlled what was there, but they made sure that there were GE products and, and vice versa. Um, there are some other products that uh, supplements, you know, you're either a nature made or you're, you know, whatever it's, but um, you know, now that same, that protection has also gone away. I can't count on winning the contract because online I'm, I'm, I'm losing it to this guy in Milwaukee. Who's got a battery that lasts 10 times longer than mine does. You know, it's um, so it's, it's very fluid in that sense. And, oh, yeah. uh, and big, um, big CPG, you know, uh, they're not really prepared for that. That's really not how they, that's not how they're comfortable operating. And, um, you know, no, and to be fair, I mean, most of these have so much market share and size and war chest that, you know, I don't think that they truly have anything to fear from going out of business, but I think they could almost be facing the reality of death by a thousand paper cuts of these very small, nimble, agile brands continually coming on the scene and perhaps innovating, on one line or this line or that line. It just, you know, there's no way you can fight them all. Well, there is, of course, the phenomenon, which, you know, if I asked you guys about your exit strategy, um, but, you know, people say, well, I want to sell to General Mills or I want to, you know, you know whatever. And <laughs> there has been a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But there is now also starting to be the perfect example was jerky, which was Crave Jerky, right? John Sebastiani's company. He sells it to Hershey. Uh, everybody's amazed. What they don't realize is that Hershey probably paid less for that company than it would have cost them to launch their own by tenfold, right? Easy, easy money. But they got the brand and couldn't do anything with it. And all this expertise, um, you know, Odwalla, same thing, right? It's just all of this expertise in the category, but not the authenticity, not the underlying driver of the brand. And, you know, in Crave's thing, they sold it back to John and we don't know how much, but I'll guarantee you they carried paper. I mean, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, now what's he going to do with it? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. But, um, but you know, it, it says to that fact that there has to be now something just besides delivering a good product. There's got to be some authenticity. There's got to be a relationship with that audience out there. Um, and if you combine that with the internet and social media, you now have this responsibility that it used to be like, if you, you're a big company, you get a letter and somebody complains, right? It's like, okay, customer service will send them a pre-printed letter with the thing and a coupon. Well, now if somebody posts something on social media and you don't have it answered 
in two hours, you get another nasty thing, yeah. right? I, I expect that you're paying attention to me. It's like, oh, this is a brand. This, this, that's brand new for a lot of big companies. They can't even begin to think about that. No, and, and unfortunately, the, again, I hate to call them out, but internet trolls, if you will, can be really painful. And they can really do real and long-lasting damage if they leave a lot of reviews. And, and again, you just have to kind of, you can't engage with them. You can't fight back. You just have to make sure you do everything they, you pay, possibly can to make them happy. Um, but to your point, I, I think there really is a change in the market, right? This, this you know, COVID really is coming at the end of, um, of a historic, you know, uh, bull run, right? right? And I think that capital was flowing freely. Uh, it was not say ever easy to raise capital, but a lot of brands had a lot of access to capital and were able to kind of serve, you know, launch whatever they wanted and whatever they pleased. And perhaps some people were not minding the shop as close as they should have been on some of the fundamentals. And I think now you're going to see almost like a forest fire cleansing. Unfortunately, a lot of folks might not make it through this period of time. And I think you're going to see brands that are able to persist and survive, you know, are the ones that did do things the right way and build, you know, sound, fundamentally healthy businesses. And again, to your point, it's also another existential question of anyway, I guess the question that everyone should ask themselves at some level when they start an entrepreneurial venture, which is, you know, what do I want this to be? You know, if your sole game plan is to have some sort of massive exit, well, you're probably in it for the wrong reasons to begin with, but now even more so, right? The wrong and, industry. Yeah, wrong <laughs> industry. Um, but now even more so, right? To your point, these big companies are, are challenged with, you know, how do we deal with these small, nimble little guys and integrate them in a way that we don't lose the authenticity, we don't lose the drive, um, and how do we kind of adapt with the times? I think you're going to see a lot of businesses now maybe becoming longer lifestyle businesses, you know, where you're running this for a much longer period of time. And again, that's where I go back to the fundamentals needing to be sound because, you know, if you were playing a, a high octane growth game, well, shoot, you might be in between two ridges right now. Right. Yeah. And that, and, and there are from the investment community, that's also been, I think a little bit of a sea change in that there was a, a time when food was very sexy and then we became unsexy. Mm -hmm. And then, right, I think during the last recession, and then, then it came back. Yep. But a lot of the people who came back were investors who were more familiar with tech. And mm -hmm. they're not the same industries at all, and rates of return and time and everything else. And it was like this expectation, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to just 10 exit. You know, it takes a long time to 10 x. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, yeah. you know, the, the first two x is not Tough. Second one, but 10x is a long time. How, how did you guys? Oh, yeah, I was going to you... understand that, for example, like, oh, why aren't you in this chain? Like, well, this chain has a meeting once a year. And <laughs> that buyer maybe is not the, is a very tough customer and they don't take it a lot of brands. And if you don't get in, it's another year until you get a meeting. And then if you get a yes at that meeting, it's eight months later until you're actually in the stores. And I think for, to your point, for folks who are not necessarily as savvy as CPG, that just doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Right. You know, yeah. Category reviews. It's, oh. that, that's it. We're not, you know, and maybe if you're a big guy and you got something new coming out, you can have them for a price, mm -hmm. cut you into the shelf, yeah. right? but you got to have some pretty deep, deep pockets to do that. Um, let me ask you guys real quick about uh, funding. How did you, how'd you handle funding and how have you found the whole finance thing. 
you know, so this is our you know first time going through an entrepreneurial journey, uh, especially one with funding. So um, certainly challenging. Uh, and we basically were very fortunate to team up with Excel Foods, um, which is a VC firm out of New York City who specializes in disruptive CPG brands. And we, wow, actually, well, there, there was an article. Yeah, there was an article written about us in uh, yeah 2017. That's right. New York had a New York Magazine article which helped garner some good awareness. And we worked with them and, and fundraised our first round in September, September of 2017. 2017. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about it, for us, it was almost like our first time playing at, I call the, at least what we thought back then was the big table, right? Now you have yeah. the ability to um, maybe pay a slotting fee or two or, 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 or get a broker or for us at the time, move the business from out of the basement. So, uh, you know, there were some definite pluses for us to really put some gas in the fire. Yeah. Uh, to say that it's not challenging, man, it's, 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 it's brutal. Uh, it's certainly exhausting because, you know, all the while you need to be running the business. You need to be growing right. it, doing all the things that that beautiful hockey stick of a model that you made in Excel uh, says you're going to do to be true. <laughs> and at the same time, you're, you're trying to kind of talk to a lot of people uh, build awareness about your brand with a whole new group. And, you know, the reality is statistically, you're going to get a lot of notes. So it's tough. Right. right. So you, you just have to get, get out there and, and keep, mm -hmm. keep knocking on the doors. I would, I would say though, that thankfully our, you know, pound the pavement approach early on and early days of just, when I say, you know, we made these fun games, we basically had daily challenges of, all right, each one of us has to get, you know, X amount of calls and X amount of samples out the door every day. And it was kind of like this little accountability buddy, uh, type deal. <laughs> and if you didn't, there was probably some sort of penalty in the form of a, you know, a glass of wine or something like that after a long day. But um, it really developed a thick skin relatively rapidly. And so you had to be able to deal with a lot of notes. And that's yep. what it is. So uh, ultimately, a positive experience for us, it really gave us access to um, the next kind of tier for our business, and allowed us to kind of accelerate the growth that we were seeing on the West Coast, access some other retailers, you know, give some love to our online channel, which thank God we had invested in. You know, we, we were already kind of pretty heavily into e-com well before COVID started, thankfully. So, you know, that was meaningful. It was impactful for sure. Yeah, that, yeah, it absolutely made a difference. For some people, it made all the difference, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and going forward. Well, hey, hey I, I want to thank you guys for, you know, taking the time and sharing the story with us today. It's absolutely great. Uh, remind folks, kalaharisnacks.com or Yep. eatbiltong.com either one will yep. work and the new um the new crisps will by the time this airs the new crisps will be out and in stores so you'll be able to find them or online right or on amazon or online yeah you can get it there. online very important um so but before you guys go i did want to just um we, we try to to treat our guests roughly at the end of the show because it doesn't matter now um is to talk about if you would for your fellow entrepreneurs a significant or the biggest challenge you guys figured you faced and how you got over it. So, you know, we were, uh, and I, and I, <laughs> we had kind of maybe prepared a little, a little bit different, but I appreciate the curveball. So I think we'll take your question and maybe adapt it slightly. That's okay. Um, I think yours is probably reinventing yourself. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for me prior to going into the CPG market, um, I was uh, working for a software company, working in software sales, never even knew what CPG stood for. So 
<laughs> moving into this was like, wow, okay, what is a broker? What is a distributor? What is, you know? so, so for me, those were huge challenges. And the good thing is, you know, moving now four, four years, five years down the line, I was totally able to reinvent myself, you know, at a later stage in my career. Um, so that was a huge challenge in the beginning, you know, but now you look back. So I think, you know, for any, any person who's looking to try something new, it's never too late. You can always do something. If you put your mind to it and you have belief in it, you know, you can do it. That's great. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you only have one go around. So pretty much, you know, we, we got to do this and it's not, uh, I, I talked to a number of people who are founders who came from other businesses that, you know, and, and oftentimes it's very, they say, Hey, it was just the greatest thing because I really wasn't happy doing what I was doing. And this was a good idea. It wasn't maybe necessarily the idea I thought I was going to you know run with, but when I started, it was like, wow, okay, this is really good. And it gives me, you know, it gives me that kind of affirmation that I need when I'm going forward. You'll, you'll know you're in the right place. And we like to joke, which is, we wish we had more work days to the work week, right? Whereas I think the job you don't like, oh, it's only Tuesday. Now we're going like, oh my God, it's already Tuesday. Um, that's, I think, yep. you're in the right place. No, that's good. And it sounds like you guys are in that, that right spot. So, you know, it'll be great. Well, hey, thanks again for, for joining us and with Sharon here on the program. And I also want to thank the audience out there for being with us on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands, providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one -on -one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. And Brett, if, if we'd had the courses back then, see, you could have just gone through it. <laughs> no, no, thanks, Steve. Figure it out. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see all everybody next time, next week, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.